I'm Jimmy Lewis, and this is Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, the dirt bike podcast where we talk about motorcycle and motorcycle-related products. In episode number 38 of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, we introduce you to Taco Mike, whose uh, white paper sheets got me all worked up, and we had to bring him in to talk about it. We talk ECU tuners. We talk about when to rebuild your engine. We get a call-in from Mark from Baja Diaries. And we just answer any question that's thrown at us. Listen to the show. This show is brought to you by DDC Racing. That's Delaney Drive Components. They're makers of very strong, durable, chromoly, chrome-plated sprockets. If you've seen these things, they look like Swiss cheese. They're super light for a steel sprocket. They last forever. They come with a one-year warranty, and they are built by riders who really care about keeping riding areas open. So if you're interested in some good drive systems parts, check out ddcracing.net. That's Delaney Drive Components. Along with, Climb has been with this show since the beginning, and I really appreciate that. What I like even better is that the gear is super awesome. I've been wearing it since the beginning. Uh, it's evolved a bunch. It's very durable, um, really good fitting. They have features on their gear that are pretty much uh, industry leading. And I appreciate that because that's what I wear when I get to do fun stuff and I'm comfortable and I like almost everything that they make. So if you are looking for a change of gear or you're looking for the best gear, I think uh, you won't be disappointed by trying Climb. So give them a look. And Taco Moto. So you've heard us talk about Taco Mike on the show. He's been a guest host a few times. Taco Moto Co., that's how you find him on the web, sells a lot of the kind of cool and unique tuning products that you need to get your emissions-compliant bike running up to snuff. So if you have questions, he has answers, and he can also sell you the stuff. So if we can't answer the question here, which we hope we can. Maybe he can answer the question over there, and he can also sell you the parts that you might need to get your especially KTM or Husky dual sport bike uh, running like a champ. Anyways, it's tacomoto.co. Now, here's the show. Live uh, from Pahrump tonight. It's Tuesday. That means it's Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. This is episode number 38. I am here with... Believe it or not, Taco Mike and Mike. What are the chances? What 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 are the chances? How do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Spurgeon. Spurgeon. So Mike is um, Taco Mike, and I found out about him when somebody forwarded me this um, white sheet, white paper that he did that uh, we brought up on the on the thing, and I'm pretty sure that. Whoever sent it to me thought I was going to like rip Mike a new one because I know more about the KTM 500 EXC than everybody. Just ask me and I'll tell you that. But he did an excellent job of explaining all that stuff. And in fact, he probably knows more about it than I do at that point because he deals with um, regular people where I kind of shut myself away from the regular people because you can't call me except for on this podcast and ask questions. Um, Mike, what's the name of your company? So, uh, Taco Moto Co. www.taco.co. Uh, That's it. That's it. Okay. I should be so, a better marketer. So, uh, well, we're going to work on that. Um, 
because George is trying to type that in right now. That's how good George is. That's what his job kind of is. No matter where he is, he manages to figure out the websites, puts the links up. And so if you're in the chat room during the live show, you get to see that. But if not, you have to hit rewind on the on the YouTubes or you hit back on your podcast. But generally when you're listening to this stuff, it's like you're just kind of sucking it in. So it's you, you would go search what? Taco Mike, Moto, EXC, KTM. I'm sure all that would pull up. I, we have... We're on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff too, all right. the socials. And you have also uh, started a, a pretty good group on Facebook? Yeah, so we have a tech support group that's primarily like trying to target guys with EXC and FE bikes, the street legal plated dual sport bikes. Those are KTMs and... Um, yeah, KTM and Husky. The white KTMs. Yeah, the white KTMs right. without the PDS. With the, the best suspension system known to man? The Link. What link? The PDS. You mine, like the PDS? Mine doesn't, mine doesn't have a, a link thing. They hook up on logs, throw you over the handlebars. Yeah. <laughs> Scorpion. <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, uh, so I, I met Mike at the KTM Adventure Rider Rally in person. We talked a few times on the phone, uh, and today he brought out a whole bunch of uh, Get uh, Athena slash Get uh, ECUs that we tried on a few different bikes. He had a, we didn't try the Vortex one on the bike yet but we were just kind of playing around with them seeing what we do seeing what they do he found out i'm a really picky <laughs> what would you call me you're just picky tester or picky rider which is great yeah so so we were we were messing around with that stuff trying to learn some stuff we learned some stuff um it's it's interesting to see i and that's why i wanted to have him come out because i have not had a whole lot of experience with those well, little green and little yellow boxes. I mean, I have with the Vortex back when they were ignition only. Yeah, CDI box only. CDI only boxes. And I've heard a lot about them. And uh, so I definitely wanted to try them so that I can be more informed and communicate that stuff and answer your questions, especially when my answer of, well, just turn the throttle farther isn't enough for you. So <laughs> that's what Mike's here for. He's going to be able to answer some of your questions. Uh, I'm going to let him try to answer some of your questions, and then uh, I'll try to answer some of your questions. So, um, hey, wait, look at somebody on the somebody on the board. Uh, Danielle Oliver says, "Jimmy, you were right." I'm like, "What did you expect? <laughs> right? That I was wrong? <laughs> there was that one time that I was that I was wrong. I'm not." Uh, I'm not sure what I was right about. Um, and uh, George, pizza is good taco for me. Um, pizza is a taco if you're Jim from New York, who was uh, in the studio last uh, last week. Yes, and that's what he told us. He said, if you fold your pizza in half, it's just like a taco in New York. Um, let's see. The best upgrade for my bike was a better rider. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what it says in the back of our T-shirts. For the school. So, and uh, uh, it says, George, um, oh, explain yourself. Yeah, she did, I think. She explained. She was just like, there's the delay. That's the problem with the 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 form. So we're going to go right into questions. We're hoping to have a call in tonight from um, Trevor Hunter, who is in North Carolina riding Yamaha's new YZ125X and YZ250FX, I believe. And uh, then uh, Mark Kakapaloff, who is 
He is a Baja Diaries, Mark, and he's been on the show before. He is going to call in. He just picked up a new Honda CRF250L Rally, and he's going to go rally it around the Sierras, and he's going to tell us about his plans for that. It's a test bike for us, and he's going to tell us some cool stuff. So um, that should be good. I'm going to go right into our first question. Uh, Serena Bleeker asks, says, well, she says it first, like the hit song, the killer's song, like the hit, the killer song states, if you want to be the man, you have to have gas in the tank and money in the bank and have a, a gas can handy at camp or in the pit makes for quick on the go Phillips. A larger five gallon gas can may help increase your riding time by approximately two more Phillips, which of course depends on the fuel capacity of your motorcycle. You want a gas can that's easy to pour, pours for price. Precisely, don't cry over spilled gas, and is held in a durable container. Somebody's just getting me to write a, to read a, a read on the show getting by, sending, for the first by sending me a question. Right, guess guess what kind of gas can that is? I don't know. <laughs> Obviously not a California emission supply gas can, because that means you'd be spilling it all over the, the ground and not into your tank. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, good job, Serena. <laughs> Shows I read the questions before the show. Um, next question, dear sir, we're offering our manufacturer services in racing wares like MX, BMX and off-road and paintball wares. We have complete manufacturing setup in one place to accommodate our old and new clients. I think that's me, new clients. Customized manufacturing is also available. You can send your artwork for your required stuff. You listen to this, Mike? This is important. Yeah. We are here attaching some different product photos for an idea. Please ask more if you have any further questions. Waiting for your kind cooperative response. Thank you, Torben. You could tell he may not know you because he's dear sir. Oh, I should have just stopped right at the beginning, huh? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, those are the kind of emails we get all the time at Dirt Bike Test. If you would like us to to promote your wares or sponsors or whatever, just send the check first, and then I can guarantee you I will read it on the thing. Uh, Jimmy, I love your Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. Your aimless banter is often funny, sometimes quizzical, and always informative. Well, like the last five minutes, right? <laughs> Oh, here's my questions. <laughs> That's what I always say. Just get throw a compliment out, and maybe it puts it up farther up the line. I have a 2017 Husqvarna. Uh, it's a white K. One. It's a white KTM TE300i. I use for trail riding up here in the woods of NorCal. I love the bike. I currently have 185 hours on it in the stock top end and drivetrain, chain and sprockets. Is it time for a top end? Um, 185 hours. I'm going to get back to that. <laughs> How can you tell? Uh, I'm going to get back to that because I'm, I'm going to go, I'll, I'll talk about this. And do I need to have the cylinder honed or somehow serviced or just throw in a new piston rings gaskets in? Um, how do you figure out how, when it, how to tell when it's time to change the sprockets and chains on my mountain bike? I always change them all at the same time. Do you need to do the same on a dirt bike? A counter shaft sprocket, rear sprocket, chain, and maybe the guides too. Okay, Terry, uh, Terry Ash, um, I'm going to answer your question. Uh, at 185 hours on a two stroke, it and and like just trail riding and stuff. I think 
you can probably get some more out of it. I've seen guys go three and 400 hours on those bikes, but at 185 hours, I would start thinking about changing it just because my, on my two strokes, I always, I always kind of was 200 hours seemed to be the upper limited if everything was going just good because it's so easy to do and it's pretty inexpensive. And at that point, you're probably starting to see power loss and, if you were really scientific about it, you could probably be doing compression checks and stuff, but you'd have to know where you started at new for it to really make any sense where you're at right now. A compression tester is pretty inexpensive, and maybe that's something you can start on your next cycle, and that's where you know where you're at. Um, how can I tell? Uh, when is it time to do the top end? Um, so if it was my bike, I can... I can hear it. I can kind of start hear it when the piston starts, you know, flapping, clapping around. Another thing that's really easy to do is you can take the pipe off and look up in the rings. And when you start seeing a significant amount of blow by on the rings, just when you shine the flashlight up in the exhaust port, that's another really good um, way to get a, you know, a visual, which you it's hard to do on a four stroke, for instance. Um, to see kind of where you're at. Am I going down the right path here? You liking this? I like it. I like how, see, the thing I was going to ask is 300 hours for a civilian bike versus like 200 on yours. So a Jimmy Lewis bike is not I, a civilian bike, right? It, no, it, it, it is because, I mean, well, when I when I test things, I go out and I'm kind of a little bit abusive to them. But when I'm riding a 300, a two-stroke, I'm probably riding it. And that's a, that's the thing is people say, oh, well, an expert rider, they're actually hard on it. They might actually be easier on it. You know, a, a novice rider might not, might be over revving it and, you know, hard on the shifts or might just lug the bike so much that there's lots of carbon buildup, which isn't that good. You know, pieces of carbon breaking off, falling down the side, you know, on the side of the cylinder, yeah. the power valve might be getting gummed up where, you know, so like your ability level really doesn't determine, you know, everything. Oh, pro hard pro hours. I mean, if you're pounding super cross hoops, uh, that's different, but I could see where a novice guy out in the desert going across hoops could be worse than an intermediate guy just because maybe they're hitting them harder or maybe they're they're heavier and they're landing in different spots maybe where they shouldn't and that puts more strain it's like those sudden impacts is what really puts strain on it that piston going up and down in the cylinder is per, not very strenuous when it you know oh we should talk about the lubrication <laughs> is this a good time to read that up <laughs> no <laughs> i don't want to open another can, another can of worms but uh we there will might, there might be there might be some there, two-stroke oil there talk. might might be a can of worms involved so um and then when you you know so so at, like at 185 hours it's really not a bad time to tear the thing apart you know give it a good once over look at it and then and then you can see how hard you know w what it looks like and then you know Maybe I waited a little bit too long, and and there's there's all kinds of measurements that you can take. The 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 good KTM manual will show you how to put the feeler gauge in lots of places, is and use a use a mic in different places to check wear levels. You can see whether your piston is wearing or your rings are wearing. I mean, just slide the rings back in the cylinder and take a an end gap measurement, and that'll tell you where you're at. And if it was if it's good, and it may be, then you go, I didn't necessarily need to do this, and cheap insurance. Um, a uh, couple other tips that I'll tell you, measure your gaskets, uh, especially your base gasket. Well, I think that's the only one you can really measure, but measure your base gasket to make sure you have the right size one when you put it back together. Uh, then, you know, kind of clean everything out, check, you know, check your rod to make sure your rods, you know, tight, the big end bearing, small end bearing, um, 
and you know, generally if your top end is good, those things will be good. And like, so on my 200, my KTM 200 is the, is the two stroke that I, that I kind of have been had. Well, I've had one now since 2004 cause Gabe gave it back to me. Uh, I go two to three top ends per crank rebuild. And it's just, that's just kind of what I've done. That's what I used to do when I was racing, when I was replacing top ends of my 125 at 20 hours, because I could feel it lose power. And that bike was being ridden at 10 tens, but it, I, I never had any, you know, crank failures doing that. So that's kind of what I've stuck with. And now, and now on my 200, I'm going 50 to 80 hours, you know, 90 hours, nothing, you know, smaller boards getting ridden hard. I'm still on that kind of crank. You know, if, if I pull it apart the first time, it's always tight. The second time you can start feeling something and then I make a judgment call, you know, is it, you know, you know, whether the side play or the up and down play, you, know, you don't want any up and down play, but hopefully that, uh, that, um, how do I tell it just, it's just experience and stuff like that. And then do I need to have the cylinder honed? Uh, I say no, but a lot of other people will tell you yes. And it kind of depends on, you know, if, you know, the, those cylinders are pretty hard and if it's in good shape and you just have to have the right hone and you have to know how to do it. And I have put three and four or five pistons in Nicosil cylinders and, uh, yeah, to deglaze it is essentially what it, what it does. When, yeah. So we've had this conversation recently where what's the difference between a hone versus a deglaze? Oh, deglaze. Yeah. So, you know, a hone is basically where you've put in the crosshatch. So if you've worn out a cylinder, the inside of the plating, the Nicosil, the chrome plating, and you don't see a crosshatch any longer, or you've oh, you've mic'd it and it's out of spec, meaning the 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 chrome is worn out and now you're over spec, then you need to get that replated. And that crosshatch is the hone, and that's a completely different thing than deglaze. So deglaze would be when you've just got like some carbon buildup and you'll see kind of a a brown haze to the to the surface material, and you can use an aluminum oxide hone. And and as I say this, I want to be very very careful because there are two very separate things. A hone and a crosshatch is a different thing than a deglaze. A deglaze is where you just you just run that ball, a very well lubricated with your two-stroke or four-stroke oil, depending on what, what machine it is. And you just run that aluminum oxide, maybe 320, probably would be the grit. Very carefully, very, not very long, don't spend a whole lot of time on there. And you're just pulling away. Essentially, it's like Scotch-Brite. A lot yeah. of guys will take a Scotch-Brite and do that. This is in effect the exact same thing, but a little, little, Better in my opinion because it's 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 doing a it's doing it a uniform way rather than just sitting there and trying to like you know spin the jug and then get your Scotch Bright in there. Take yeah, take one like part out of it. and then and that, that's a good point. Is like when there when there's wear you know usually even on a I'll say a, we'll call it a well polished cylinder you can still see some traces of the if the cylinder's in good shape you can still see some traces of the hone marks. But I have seen glaze build up to the point where you no longer see the um, the cross hatches yeah. and, and so it's, it's actually, they're still in there. And if you, like I say, do clean them off a hone, you know, a hone is an effective way to take the glaze off. Cause it, it also, you know, generally kind of goes in there and scratches up the cylinder. Some people say it makes the rings seat in better and you know, you're starting fresh again. I I've, I've done it. I've done it probably a hundred times, not done anything. Just slap the new piston and rings in there and put it right back in. If everything's in, in spec. Um, so I think it's just it's just one you know one extra step you can do or not do. I'm sure there's somebody has some number you know. Well, actually, you know what? If somebody had some really good numbers on that, 
then that would be the science or the 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 you know the 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 way to justify the right answer and i haven't seen it either in my experience i haven't seen it either or and i've seen really good race mechanics put stuff back in you know well really good race mechanics are, aren't working on two and three hundred hour stuff they're replacing everything with fresh at that point <laughs> so yeah. so um but you know when you're talking a budget build yeah you want to avoid just you're just keeping you, if, if you're just keeping your stuff running I think you can put just put it back in if everything's within spec and nothing's worn out. I think you can just put it back in. If you're trying to get the, you know, the max, then I I would uh, tune you know talk to somebody who really knows uh, what they're doing. I've seen it done both ways. Um, probably more race guys do actually hone it and and but they're starting with you know fresh fresh stuff and they're they're you know miking the pistons. They're getting the right you know they'll have a set of six pistons and they check each one and the one that fits the best goes in there. So. Uh, yeah. So Terry, hopefully that answered your question. Oh, chain and sprockets. I always do. If, if I only have one bike, which I don't, but if I only had one bike, I would always do chains and sprockets as matched sets. I have a lot of different bikes and a lot of different wheels. So I'm constantly switching them. So they're all mismatched, but they're, (laughs) they're, they're all, they all seem to do not try this at home. Yeah, they all seem to mesh in together and stuff. But uh, as a rule of thumb, yeah, chains and sprockets, they will bed in if it's always on the same one. Uh, so um, that that is the right thing to do. As far as the guides, it kind of depends on how worn out the guides are, whether I'll change them. Sometimes when they get worn a little bit, then they start, instead of just running on the side plates of the chain, they actually start running on the rollers, and they become more effective and start wearing slower. So uh that's one of the things. And what are we talking about? Oh, Dirt Tricks sprockets. Well, do you know about the Dirt Tricks uh, chain wear gauge? The tool, yeah, I have the a couple of them. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. They have a they have a tool for it that you basically hook it on the hook it on the inner link on the roller, and it it tells you whether your sprocket if you can if you can't move it anymore, it's, your chain is spread, uh, stretched out too much. Um, actually, I've been running the um, the uh, DDC sprockets, which are very similar and uh, uh i know uh, nate pretty well and he does a lot for land use and so he gets my dollars when it comes time for sprockets and stuff like that so uh yeah if you're looking for that uh, check out um check out ddc for uh sprockets by the way um welding blaster number one asks this question is it better than a ktm oh this is on a crf on a crf 450x video l video that we have this Sierra 450 L. He says, is it better than a KTM? I think so. My 2019 Sierra 450 L is a replacement for my 2019 EXC 500 F. The Honda is, in my opinion, a lot more bike for the money and the KTM build quality and lack of quality control and manufacturing left a lot to be desired. Well, it's lucky that welding blaster one isn't here because he would be in the minority, right? <laughs> there's a lot of orange bikes out there. There's a lot of orange bikes. I have a couple red ones. There's there's actually there's actually one of those bikes that 2019 um 450L in the in the in the container. It's not mine. Uh but um no, I uh I I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with them. It's kind of funny cuz when I look at a KTM and I look at a Honda, I see two very well-built, high-quality bikes. And I can I can look and see where they've each of those brands has cut little corners, made compromises, made little compromises, and they're different. Yeah. And so if there's a certain thing about the Honda that appeals to you, you know, a lot of times people look at the aluminum frame, and it just you look at the that 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 pot metal KTM frame that's just like 
well, it's actually excellent, but uh, you know, it's like the aluminum frame just looks better or maybe just, oh, my bike has a titanium gas tank and that has plastic and they use wood screws. You oh, know, yeah. KTM uses gas, gas yeah, tank. They use wood screws on their gas tank. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's the Honda's definitely better. So, uh, Hey, you know, that welding blaster, you're definitely, you know, that I think you're entitled to your opinion and it just shows, goes to show that it depends on how you look at stuff. And I'm, I'm stoked that you like your bike. You're better than the, than the KTM. Cause then I have somebody to argue with. Otherwise we'd all be riding around in KTMs and then, then it would be boring. Right, George, yeah. you and your KTM 500. You know, one Mojave quick- Bob and his KTM 350, you and all your KTMs. I'm sick of you guys. You, I I was riding KTMs almost before anybody. Well, not really, but pretty close. My KTMs, when I started riding them, they were red, white, and blue. That's how old I am. And then they were teal and blue, uh-huh. and then they went through a purple phase on my KTMs. The oval KTM yeah. logo. Yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was when I was a KTM guy. And then I quit, and then I had to ride other colors, but... So uh, suppose this guy, you know, there are, he makes a valid point and every machine, every manufacturer is going to make these compromises on where they're going to spend a lot of R and D engineering and, and then maybe effort and in, in good quality build. And then they're going to maybe have some areas that don't reflect that. Get involved in a really good like Facebook group or advrider.com or somewhere where there's guys who know those brands and those bikes very, very well. And then ask them and find out what the weak area is. Cause I think it's unfair to say that any one brand is better overall than in, in the other I think we could, I, we could argue the you, point. You you can argue about it, and and I I would say be careful when you go on the internet groups because what, what, how was the what did I word it today? When we actually you actually did a little research on on with your group, and you asked about some of the common quote common problems. Oh, that's a good one. You talked about the common problems, and I always sit there and go, man, if it's more than three percent of owners that have this problem, um, then the manufacturer is very good about issuing recalls and fixing that problem. And they're not trying to cover it up. They're really trying to fix it because at one to 3%, that's not, that's quote, not acceptable. And then on like the fuel filter splitting, I think is the one we used as our, as our example. Yeah. And, and we, we hear about it all the time and everybody has to replace it with different. You have to do it. And like out of your group, which is like 2000 some I'd strong. And you ask them what was, how many had had it happen? Yeah, so I did a poll on our Facebook group, which is specifically that EXE FE group. That's what we're targeting. And I asked, um, and I wanted first-person accounts, not like hearsay, but have you personally on your bike had a fuel filter failure? Because a lot of guys will say that Mal KL97. See the big filter. pack of them I had in, you got, in so the you shop? Got a big yeah, big 10 pack in there. Yeah, you know, I know I have them because I have that many tanks. And you know why there's that many brand new ones? Because you change it out pretty often, like the manual probably says. I've changed one in my entire life. Yeah. I've changed one of those filters. No, I take that back. On my 950, but those filters are external. I don't remember, right? I've done one fuel filter on KTM EXCs since they've been fuel injected out of all the hours I've done. And I just did it recently. So that's why I, ha- I bought a pack because I know I'm going to go through and do them all. Just do them all. I will, but I don't need to. But anyway, keep going. So how many how many people had that happen? Yeah. So I asked specifically, like, in, in your first-person experience, what did you have fail in your bike, fuel-related? So did you have fuel pump? Did you have uh, in-tank hose? And then did you have a fuel filter split? And there's a lot of hearsay. A lot of guys will say, oh, those are really big, common failure items. So it ended up being 0.18% failure rate. That was the math. 0.18 or 0. 0.08? 0. No, not 0.18, not 18%, but yeah, point 0.18. One- Eight. Yeah. So not even one percent. Yeah. 
Just a little over 1%. A little over 1%. A little over 1%. And that was the failure rate of that field filter. So the hearsay would make you think that that's happening 50% of the time. Like every other guy is having this failure rate, and yet it's incredibly rare. Very, very, uh, it's not common at all. And, and like I told Mike, because I get people come all the time and say, hey, you know, doing this and just all the other stuff. They're, hey, Jimmy, did you, did you hear about, did you hear about this? And it's like, did you hear about this? And, you know, I, I hear, hear people, a lot of people asking me, did you hear about this problem and this problem? And, and I said, um, yeah, I heard about, but you know what, you know, what's a really big problem. And they're like, what's that? And I go, that you're hearing about all these problems <laughs> because that's, that's how it gets started. It just, it just, it just goes in influence. I remember when I was, when I was, you know, growing up and I first started reading cycle news, you would hear about somebody that would write in and say, I bought this bike and, and, and I had this, I had this problem and, and they complain. And a lot of times I believe it or not, it was KTM. They were, K, they were having problems with KTMs. And I mean, this is in the, this is in the eighties. You know, back when I didn't even know what a KTM was. And KTM, the next week, the same guy would write in a letter and said, oh, yeah, after my letter, KTM, you know, sent me a new motor. And and they were doing that kind of stuff. The guy was, you know, but everybody, oh, you know, the KTMs are junk. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, if it breaks, KTM is going to send me a new motor. <laughs> you know, sort of the, the cycle news was the the new inter, the early internet of you know, gripes, but I was always thinking they must, they must just break all the time and they didn't. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. Did anybody call in Gabe? No, Lo uh, no, no. Uh, none of our cub reporters are calling in. Mark will call in. I told him to call in at 30 minutes. It's seven twenty nine, or he, or, or he, uh, he was out riding his bicycle and he got lost. <laughs> so, um, Let's see. Uh, first off, I love your 4T video cast. That's Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, by the way. I love listening. <laughs> I love listening to it as a podcast at work. I love hearing from your guests, especially Logan. Where's Logan? Yeah. And how is your experience and how your experiences shape your answers to listener questions? I would love to. See here, read about a future test of SMW motorcycles, the Super Duel or Enduro or both. I think the 500cc Enduro would be an interesting comparison to the 500exc. And no, I don't work for SMW. Paul Gerard, thanks, Paul. Um, you know, I know the SMW importer. I know Pete Vetrano, and uh, I could probably uh, swing that, arrange that. Uh, hopefully, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's all time. It's all time and, uh, time and money these days. Um, and the SMW, those are the old Huskies, the, the old Italian Huskies, which are Kajivas, which are sort of influenced by BMW. And then somebody just like took the whole shop someplace else. And now they're SMW. So if he's taught the 500, that'd be an interesting one. Cause I, is it still the motor that spins backwards? Is it still that BMW design one or was it the old Husky? I don't know. The 450. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough, but it might be worth pointing out that if you've got one of those mid model Huskies, one of the Husqvarna's, one of the Italian Husqvarna's, and yeah. you need parts for that. SMW is SWM is really probably the source SWM, yeah. and find part new parts, new manufactured parts for that, that like gap model, of those huskies, that's a because you're not going to find it from a KTM dealer or th th the, that the, supply chain is dried up. Yeah, the, and and I know there was a lot of those three tens 
that were out there and the the there was the 310 and the 250 which were kind of common and then there was the, they had it they had a 450 that was not the BMW derived uh 450 that a 450 and a 500 I remember riding them as as huskies and they were blue and orange at one point and then they were red and white for a while red and black man I can't I can't remember those red and black that's the yeah. ones I remember yeah so um uh there and it's funny so so this kind of gets me into another thing is somebody said why don't you ever test some of those chinese motorcycles and the funny thing is i have a christini 450 in uh, my shop right now that we've been riding around and it is essentially quote what you would call one of the chinese motorcycles it's a like an asia wing uh, bike and it's definitely when you start talking about like the build quality between the honda and the ktm it's it's not on that level and and because of the price you can get it at and some of the other stuff it's never going to be at that level but um pretty uh uh pretty it's pretty interesting to to see you know where you know where some of these technologies are how quickly they're kind of catching up and the good thing about the Christine is a lot of the Christine parts the all wheel drive parts for that bike are um designed and manufactured in the US and then kind of bolted onto it when it when it arrives here so um it's a kind of a collaboration but um i would like to i'd like to try some of those things i've seen i've seen some guys do um tests of them on the uh on the on the youtubes and things so um phone call time yeah okay i'm gonna look at my thing here uh i don't see it on the screen gabe no well, let me see. Oh, wait. I just uh, I reloaded the screen and it came alive. So let me unplug this. Plug this back in. Yeah. Please hold. Technical difficulties are preventing dirt bike tests and Tech Talk Taco Tuesday from being um, good. I'm going to put him. I'm going to talk to him. Talk. Does that work? And then I'm going to boot it up here. Caller. Is this Mark? Nope. Oh, I, Gabe, I brought you into the. <laughs> hey, Gabe, you want to talk on the show? No, he's is. Let's see. I'll, I'll talk to you. Uh, Mark, are you there? Hello. 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 Do we have a good connection? We're going to be fighting with your connection. Uh, it depends. I can hear you perfectly. Can good. you hear me? I can hear you. I think we're. I think we're doing okay now. Um, so Mark, okay. how do you say your last name again? You know, my last name is kind of sucky. So, uh, <laughs> we can just call myself Berm Cannon. Berm Cannon. Right. It's Kapikov. Kapikov. What letters? Yeah, it's Kalpikov. Kalpikov. Yeah. Right. I, I, I like to, I like to, you know, butcher that as much as possible. Like most names. Um, so Mark picked up a Honda CRF 250L rally from us. And where are Correct. you going? Right now, I am somewhere between Trona and Lone Pine, California. Okay, so you should probably park because if you if you're driving, um, you're going to lose connection. I just tell you, I've been out there before. I am parked, and I am next to a cell tower. Okay, I got full bars. Good. Do you have a tinfoil hat on? No, but I have uh, 
some empty Coke cans that I have on my antenna. <laughs> Good. Um, so, so you are going to be posting some stories up on our Instagram account of you taking this bike on uh, awesome adventures. What is where should people follow you? Um, well, I think what they should do is first of all make sure they're subscribed to Dirt Bike Test. And they are allowing dirt bike test stories to be shown on their feed. Okay. Um, and I would say the 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 good stuff will probably be ending up there. Mm-hmm. And maybe the scraps will be ending up on uh, Baja Diaries on Instagram. Right. So you're bringing Baja and Diaries it, north. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, constant uh, showing people. My whole thing is, is there's enough GoPro footage of people riding on Instagram, (laughs) but there's not enough, uh, you know, proper uh, content of showing people how to get to these great places that people go to ride. Cool. And uh, I do that on YouTube. I, I mean, Instagram, I hate it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, they could suck it. Instagram sucks. But uh, for tell now, us how you I'm really feel. The game, and, you know, yeah. I mean, if for for now, I'm playing the game like anybody else. Yeah, it's it's and got you got to figure out how to t- I, I, tell everybody for free so you can get a thumbs up. Wait, wait, you can't even get a thumbs up on Instagram. You just get a like. What do you get there? Heart. A heart. Aww. Well, st- starting this week, they're taking that away. So oh. Nobody's getting sh- nobody's getting shit. How are now. you gonna How are you gonna feel good at your about yourself at night if you don't get a heart? <laughs> well, that's the thing is is you could tell by how many followers I have. I don't really compete for those. But George George has George for, has seven. Do you have more than George? He got he got he got Mike here to to, to subscribe to him on Instagram. Internet famous. So so Baja. Well, di- yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> Baja, hey, you should you should try to find George on Instagram too. He likes everything that I like, so you just find that one guy that trolls me all the time. That's George, and then and then he'll have like eight followers by the end of tonight. Like that's almost as many as Logan, and Logan doesn't even say anything. That's perfect. <laughs> the good thing is they're sitting in here in the studio and they can't hear what you're saying. The bad stuff about them. That's the weird thing about doing the calls, right? Right, George. Yeah. You can't hear, yeah. Um, so uh, Baja Diaries going riding up in the Eastern Sierra is going to take some fun routes. Uh, what did you do to that Sierra uh, F250L to get ready? So uh, to start out with, and this is this has been my vision of the 250L uh, since it kind of came out a, a couple years ago. But I look at that bike. And I see a classic XR 400. Um, so I want to find out, is it like that bike? Is it better? Is it slower? And right off the bat, because of the terrain I'm in, uh, for everybody that rides out here in Jawbone, um, I put on some uh, STI Tech 2 Pro D tires. Uh, just so if I'm climbing up some... Uh, gnarly things. I have a little bit more meat, right? Uh, on it because it came with what the um, IRC like trail wings or something. Yeah, yeah, it came with those, which I, I guess I could have gotten by with them, but I don't know. I, I think uh, 
because I rode some BMW GSs last month, and those kind of had somewhat more street version dual sport tire. Right. And and I was kind of I was suffering a little bit. So with this, I was like, okay, I'm just going to immediately change them out. Worse than when you're on a KTM 690. uh, Yeah, or a uh, 701. Yeah, that's the those are those white ones. Hey, I might have some I might have some news about Huskies coming up here pretty soon. Might I feel like we're getting a little closer to making making that happen. So. Um, okay. Well, uh, good on you, Mark. Uh, we will, we'll look for your stories and pretty pictures. Um, I'm jealous. Uh, that is some awesome riding you're going to get to do up there and, uh, you probably run into some crazy people. Um, one of these days I'll tell you about the, 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 the guys running meth that I ran into out in Saline Valley. <laughs> that's, and that's, that's why I, I'm packing when I'm riding every once in a while these days. <laughs> so, uh, well, that's uh, I got Fire Freddy with me, so uh, he's he's fully certified for that kind of stuff. So is is he? Uh, and he's good for he's a good photographer. Good is is he uh, is he riding a KTM six ninety? No, he's actually <laughs> riding the classic XR six fifty R with Jimmy. You'll love this with a uh, Baja Designs electric start kit. <laughs> Uh, does it does it does it does the does the gear engage and it still works i don't know i just look at it and i'm like it looks it it looks like somebody just put a big giant weight on the side of the motor right (laughs) yeah hey if 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 it if it if it seems like it works just have them come to my house one day i might need to borrow some parts off that yeah, you know, uh, for everybody listening at home, just for uh, shits and giggles, I'm going to post a picture of how atrocious this thing kind of looks off the side of the motor. I'll put it on the stories later tonight. Awesome. Hey, Mark, we'll have a have a good time. Uh, thanks for calling in. We will uh, we'll uh, we'll watch your stories and and uh, and get jealous, and then people can go follow you on Baja Diaries and see where where you went and how to get there. All right, cool. You guys have a good night. Okay, thanks. Take care. Drive safe. Take care. All right. Bye. Cool. Well, that was uh, that was Mark. He was on the Tech Talk episode, what, probably like 10, 7, somewhere around there, early in the early days. We, I jokingly talk about the KTM 690 because he, he got just flamed on the, on the internets for um, – he, di- he did like why – he did one of those videos like why it was the worst bike ever. And I tended to agree with everything he said, with the exception of the worst bike ever part. I, I do find it kind of confused. I think it's really good at doing a lot of stuff, but absolutely not really good at anything. And so we kind of got on that thing and we went went down that road. And then all of a sudden, people quit picking on him so much because he came out and said it might actually be not that bad of a bike. But <laughs> um, okay, uh, let's see. We'll go back to this thing, uh, Jim Doyle. Uh, great 4T, Jimmy. That's what it's called now. It's called 4T. I like it. Yeah, it's Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. I will try to work up the courage to call in next Tuesday, but in case I should succumb to my fears, my question would be, uh, would have been, is a Suzuki RMX250 worth restoring for trail use? In other words, what is your opinion of them and are parts available? I understand it is just an RM with a heavier flywheel and wide ratio transmission, maybe a different spring rate. Um, 
So RMX 250s are really good bikes. In the day, it was the... I remember when Suzuki brought it out, it was like, we're going to take our RM and make it into an enduro bike. And they actually made it a uh, green sticker. They made it like compliant. And I don't remember specifically how they did it, but it was corked up. It had a XR600, like big giant muffler and, and a double walled pipe. And I think it might've had a throttle stop in it. Uh, and, but it actually, you know, it had the RM250 power plant. So it's kind of similar to what you're seeing, you know, like, what KTM's trying to do. They're taking their, you know, their, their SX bike and they're, you know, making it, you know, kind of in a shape street legal. So it was a dual sport bike. Cause I'm looking at it. I never it's, heard of this before. Yeah, it's, not, not dual it's a, sport. It's got a backlight on. It's got a oh, headlight. You're, you're looking at a race version. So he's, he's, he's Googled it right away. He's looking at that. That's a full on race version of that bike. Yeah, but it's got lighting. Oh yeah. It has lights. It's so Yamaha at the time had a WR two fifty, which was a YZ two fifty. Um, does that have the, that looks like the stock pipe. Yeah. Look at that pipe on the back of it. Yeah. Um, so they were, they were actually pretty cool bikes. Uh, are you crazy for restoring it? Mm, no, but you're going to get a bike with 20 year old brakes and, uh, you know, it's still a two stroke. So it's, and it wasn't that super, uh, you're thinking it's not going to be super carbureted all that well. It, It'll it'll be a great putt putt and trail bike. Um, Style points at like a thousand. Yeah, it does. It it is a cool bike. Um, I don't know if parts are available. I think you could find most anything you need through the aftermarket. Um, you know, as far as you know, companies like uh, you know Pivot Works and All Balls and 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 uh, companies like Pro X and there's a lot of companies that that still have that stuff. I don't think the RM two fifty two stroke changed a whole lot in its in its years, so that might uh, work out for you there, um, being able to get, uh, the parts and stuff. So, um, it, 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 it did have, yeah. So heavier flywheel, yeah, had that wide ratio transmission. It had a little bit of lighting power, not much. Um, and the suspension was completely set up for off-road. Uh, they, they actually did a pretty good job with that if I recall correctly. So, um, yeah, if you, uh, um, actually I think gnarly Dave, one of our, one of our buddies, from out here had one of those or was restoring or worked on one of those. Maybe that's his you're seeing on the internet that he's trying to sell because now he's riding an older Yamaha four stroke or something. And then San Felipe Bob, I don't know. Where's, is he in the room? Where's San Felipe Bob? Do we lose him? Cause he's, he's the Yamaha WR 250 guy. Like that was his, that was his bike. He desert raced those. And I liked those a lot. This Yamaha sold it more as a competition bike. It wasn't as corked up and it was just easier to start with. Um, Jimmy, do you think that Yamaha will ever bridge the gap and start making something like a YZ300X, a WR350F, or a 450F with a six-speed gearbox? Or will they just sit by and watch KTM continue to rule the world? This is Curtis Kelly asks this question. Um, I'm not Yamaha, <laughs> so I can't answer exactly what they're going to be doing, but I doubt that they're going to make a YZ300X, a WR350F, or a 450F with a six-speed gearbox because actually of all the 450s, the the um, FX-type bikes, they have the best five-speed wide-ratio gearbox, and I think they're pretty happy with it, and I think they get away with a lot with it. So um, putting a six-speed gearbox in it would mean redesigning and making a whole new motor i mean there's just not the room to put six speeds in their box and they're using the same cases for the most part as they are with yz 
And until they actually, you know, maybe they'll make a 450 enduro bike in some um, some place in the future, and that might get your six speed. But uh, it might end up a lot like a Honda Sierra 450L, which um, yeah is a is a different uh, machine. And the 300X and 350F, um, I think they're pretty happy to just let KTM do that. Uh, there's probably not the numbers in those bikes. And again, those bikes are built off of a existing platform, YZ252 stroke or YZ250F four stroke. And they just do the, the, the small things, which our guys are out riding and they were supposed to call in and tell us about the tech changes and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're going to have to sit around and wait and we have a blank page and we have extra questions. If we need to get to these, you get your, extra sheet <laughs> you really want to talk you want to talk about adding gas to, to fuel to adding oil to oil injected two strokes don't you i only want to want to talk about it because that's what the the youtubes are all abuzz about it my phone was kind of blown up today about that yeah i'm surprised you didn't get any questions on that i i i didn't you're getting prompted off camera for a box what something. no 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 that's no well yo because you want some Oh, because who? Because somebody said something about tequila. Oh, you just want to make uh, Chris Parker and Mark Daniels jealous, don't you? Okay, you can go ahead and put it on the table, but please get a small glass because I think there was some healthy pours the other night out of that thing, and it really, it really. Somebody just sent me a picture of boobies on on inter, on the internet's like to try to distract me. Um, <laughs> boobies and booze. Is that where this is going? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, let's see. How did you get Taco Mike and? Come up with Taco Tours. Steve Tacos wants to know this. Oh, Steve. Yeah, my buddy Steve. His name is Tacos. T-A-K, I think it's T-A-K-O-S. How That's correct, it? yeah. Yeah, isn't that great? So Tacos, 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 Tacos. <laughs> I don't know. Good mind, Great minds all think alike. Like we all serendipitously kind of came up with a bunch of this taco stuff about the same time, I think. Right. So um, how it, uh, uh, so you copied his name to make your company. Yes. It's a total ripoff. Thank you, Steve, for being born. <laughs> um, I'm kind of scrolling down to the, uh, questions here. Um, let's see. There's a lot of, there's a lot of little things. So if you're really, if you hear us talking about this and you're wondering what we're talking about on Facebook, every Tuesday night at seven o'clock, that's when we do this live on the Facebook channel. Currently. Um, I keep, I keep saying, that I'm going to switch it and go someplace else, but um, I haven't done that just yet. And now we have people that are arguing in the, the the thing about which is better. Hey, Jimmy, it's Phil. What's your favorite high-speed, not racing light setup? Baja Designs. Uh, any of the Baja Designs um, stuff, just depending. The more you spend, the better light you're going to get. And uh, I don't want to drop this thing. Did you bring me over a little one of those? That's yeah, hey, <laughs> yeah. If you know what this is that we're rolling up in front of here, it's a Class A Azul Ultra Anejo. Is this a yearn for ashes? Yes, yes, yeah. For the money that you burnt buying this tequila, and you notice if you're watching on the thing, I've got it blocking my face out, which is probably the best best place for that right there. <laughs> that way, you're looking at something that's that's pretty and beautiful instead of my um, babbling head. Not cheap. The fancy. Oh, geez, this Mexico, right? Yeah, that's that. Mm -hmm. uh, so a friend of ours who, um, hey, by the way, every um, every good deed is uh, paid with pain and suffering. <laughs> as, as Jeremy, who uh, got us this bottle, can attest to. He had to. He um, 
hurt his back shortly after providing us with this super awesome gift. And uh, thank you. So you've just one-upped everybody that's ever tried to get tequila onto this show. Um, uh, back to tacos, and which we didn't have tonight, and Tech Talk, which we're doing very little of. Um, what uh, Mike was referencing is... So we stumbled across, or he stumbled across and forwarded to me a video of some other bald guy on the internets that was uh, talking about how, well, originally it was how you should add oil to your gas on your um, your TPI, or I think it was mostly just, he never, he never really hit hit on the beta, did he? No, just the TPI. Just the TPI. Yeah. And then, and then... With KTM, KTM Husky. Yeah. And then, uh, so now it's disconnect the oil injection system by putting a ball bearing in it and just mix the gas. And then he's got a tuner that you can buy that you increase the jetting. Cause you know, when you add oil to the, the gas, it does lean the bike out. It's a kind of a, it's a known thing, but it's kind of confusing for some. So he's got some sort of setup and it's like, um, I don't know. I got, I watched it and I just, I watched some of it at least. And I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, I have a lot of problems with that. There's a reason why they put it on the bike to make it easier. And I mean, and evidently he's got a friend. He's got a mole. He's got a mole on the inside that that, that told him that Spy. that's yeah that that told him that that's what you're supposed to do to get like more power, or better performance, or whatever. And because the oil gets on the reeds, I've, I've, the oil gets on the reeds, and that costs you some power. Evidently, I I'm I'm amazed. That's all. <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh because it's kind of confusing. It's well, <laughs> in all the time I've been riding the TPI, TPI bikes, maybe just maybe early in the morning, it'll like it'll like do a little bit of the load up. You know, if you if you've if you've let, had a little bit of oil, let a little puddle or whatever it does, but it's so little, and I, I've never felt lack of throttle response from oil being <laughs> on the reeds we thought about that today when we were <laughs> doing some stuff uh okay so we're not going to talk about that anymore but just remember don't get too much oil on your reeds kids <laughs> it could cost you some power the more you know the more <laughs> do, do, do. like the like the i, I think the after school special thing i think that's the same guy that talks about the the, the he has this thing that makes your fuel injector your line going straight because i had somebody ask me about that actually this is where it's like Oh, actually, if I say don't believe everything you see in the internets, then you're going to be like, Jimmy, you're on the internets too. And I'm like, well, don't believe me either because I'm not trying to sell you something. But it was the it was the 90 degree angles on the on the fuel, right at the fuel injector. It, that was costing you horsepower because he had a straight one or something. And I'm like, the other day I was actually working on my Husaberg, which has a 90 degree thing at the – and the O-ring inside of there went bad. So I had to replace it. And, and God, I love my Husaberg. It's a 570, and it has, like, so much power. I, like, unless you have ridden a Husaberg 570. This, sh- this should change to a Husaberg. Every time it's said. Well, you should talk to the to producer over there. 570. He's actually ridden the bike. Am I not lying, Gabe? Does that Husaberg have some power? Yeah. They they, they beg to ride my Husaberg. There's a garbage bike up here right now. Yeah. It's just sitting there on the Honda. But, no, the Husaberg, like, when you roll that bike on, it just everything it says, like you feel it in my butt dy- dynamometer, which is very accurate. It's it's registering, it's going off the scale. And I mean, I have a KTM 1090 too, but the Husaberg just blows it away because there's something about weight to power and all this other stuff. The noise that it makes is 
and I'm telling you, it's it's a five seventy. Okay, not I there. I had a Husaberg six hundred that had a carburetor on it. It was actually really good too, but nothing like this five seventy. So back to the ninety degree fuel angle on this bike that makes incredible amounts of usable power that lasts forever. So when I took it off, I said, you know, I'm going to see how much fuel flows out of it. So I took the hose and I put it inside of a big container. I turned it on. I've never, like, I mean, that was a lot of gas coming out of that thing. And and I pushed the button, the start button again, you know, and it just went like that. And it's shooting. And, like, within three shots, I had, you know, almost a quarter of a quart of gas within one, two, three, three seconds. With the 90 degree was right there. It was had to flow through the 90 degree thing. And I'm thinking to myself, if this monster producing all this power uses that much gas, which it doesn't, uh, I'm like, it's really starving for power. I mean, fuel. I mean, I need a what? I need a straighter. I don't need a 90 degree angle in there. Um, so you got to be careful with what you um, what you believe uh, when you see that stuff. So, so every once in a while I have to go check and verify it, and I did. What did um, you tell me today that was was a really good point? You said the orifice of the injector is the is the largest restriction in that whole fuel delivery system. The 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 well depending the outlet. on depending on whether you have a twelve hole injector, eight yeah. hole injector, whatever is the most restrict restrictive part in your fuel system is that injector, even when it's wide open. It's not your ninety degree angle or your, you know, hose. I'm sure on some maldesigned systems on some other stuff. It, you know, there could be some sort of a flow restriction. Maybe if you let that little cone filter in there uh, plug up. You're talking th- about the inline filter or the filter in the injector itself? The filter, the inline. Oh, for sure, if the filter gets plugged up, that'll that'll be restrictive. That's that's a, I mean, it's a, it's a known thing. But maybe the next most restrictive part in a stock KTM system would be the, the little cone yeah, filter. That little 10 micron cone filter right. inline. Especially if it starts getting, you know, if it starts getting plugged up. But I've seen, you know, I've checked mine before and I've, you know, disconnected the line at a different place to see how that filter was doing. And man, there's still a lot of gas flowing through that, even with that, even with a pretty well, I I mean, pretty substantially plugged um, filter in there. And so I've always kind of, it'd be really interesting to see, I guess I could figure it out, like, you know, if you figure out like how, how long, like how much time would your bike run? wide open, which is maximum fuel consumption. You know, how long would your bike run? Like, what is the fuel rate? Like, I would like to see what it looks like. I mean, we calculate the amount. How long is it going to take to empty your tank out? Let's say you're, you know, if a two-gallon tank, it takes an hour. To, so, you know, it's it's a gallon a minute. What is a gallon a minute flowing through that that hose look like? That's, you know, it's, it's a substantial amount. It, it, it would be, you know, spilling out and stuff like that. But... N- not like, not like it was spilling out when I took, when I did, it's not like it was coming out of that 90 degree angle and spitting into the can. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, a hundred cc's, a, you know, a, a second. Did, so. did you see that video I posted when we were down the Grand Canyon, me and some buddies did a ride and we had a 350 that broke down on us. We were, I don't know, 13 miles from the Grand Canyon in the middle of nowhere. And it, after diagnosing a couple of potential problems, we discovered that the, the fuel injector was clogged. Did you see that video I posted? So what? I, no, I haven't. Yep. So what, what do you do when you're out in the middle of nowhere and you, you know, you, we had good fuel pressure. We had all the other systems were okay, but we still had no gas, no fuel, no fire. So did it, 
did it progressively get worse? No, he said it just kind of like tapered Instantly. off. Pretty, oh. pretty well, quickly, just boom, it went away. And and that ended up being a fuel injector. You said you replaced yeah. the fuel injector and it fixed it. Well, we didn't have another injector. Oh. Usually I carry a spare, uh, had a spare fuel pump. Right. I didn't have an injector. And so we removed the injector, put it backwards on the fuel line. Yep. Hit the bike. We left the fuel, the power connector on there. Uh-huh. Hit the hit the button, and it gave. There's your trail tip, George. You're getting a trail tip right now. This is oh, a. You want it at on, the end? It's in the middle. Is, it's funny because I I've actually thought about this, but go ahead. This is great. I did it. This yeah. This this fixed the bike. So we were absolutely stranded, and so we 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 pulled it off and we we put it on the fuel line backwards. Yeah. So you slid the fuel line over the over injector the, nozzle. Yes. Like where the yeah that thing and then yes. And luckily, this bike had previously had the ochre type, you know, ear tab connectors, the crimp connectors. Right. Those have been removed and he had regular oh, screw, yeah, yeah. hose clamps on there. So if you're going to do this or be prepared for this, you should have uh, hose clamps with you as part of your kit or just remove the, the ochre the clamp type. clamp on one. Yep. Remove those and then put on the, the screw type. But anyway, so we screw that on there. And then the first burst of gas that came out of the injector backwards gave a little bit of a like a little release of that pressure. So yeah, the yeah. pressure had built up on the injector face and it was pushed out that little clog and it came out. We got a little jet of fuel with like the release of that. Yeah, yeah. As soon as that pressure left, then it was just the tiniest little at the top of the injector itself. You could just see it overflow with just the tiniest little drip. drip oh, so it went, drip, psh, it blew it out and blew then it, it out. was- and then at normal, normal release of pressure uh, was just drip, drip, drip. Wasn't a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, Wasn't you think about lot. how much fuel a bike uses when it's idling, and it's not it's not a lot. But that's that's interesting. So so I was asking, like, how did it stop? Because typically I found that I can feel a fuel injector on a single-cylinder bike. Tapering off. Plugging. You you, you yeah. really start losing, especially top-end power. And a lot of times the, 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 the throttle response seems to go first. Like the throttle response yeah. starts getting dead, and then you know you go and hold it wide open, and it, it goes, it, it pulls, and then it it, it slowly pulls less and less. That's and, and that's kind of what he was describing. Well, it it, it should so have happened over typical. time, but but again, some of the times when when guys are doing this, they're riding like really slow speed. They're slow, so they're never really getting wide open. But sometimes, if but if you get a really bad load of gas, like some really crappy gas, or somehow you're at the bottom of your tank, and it's just you know, sucking in crap and it seems to, and it's the right kind of crap that can get through the filters, you know, stuff that kind of uh, can get into the, uh, that, that can, what do you, what'd you call it? Mix, like talcum, mix. Almost it would, like talcum powder. It would, it would like mix, material. it would mix with the gas and yeah. the gas would pass it through the filters and stuff. Get past uh, gas. Uh, what would you, what would you call that? It would be called, uh, what's the word, what's the word, Gabe? Dissolve. Yeah, it would dissolve in the gas and then, you know, pack up when it gets uh, restricted. Although, Technically, the, the the micron size of the filter should be quite a bit smaller than the opening of the injector. So the screen in the tank is sixty. Yep. The in tank filter is forty. The in line uh, cone filter is ten, and then the final injector is ten. Ten. So so, so you've got to get it down to you, ten. You got you, you got so to get you're it going down from to, sixty all the way down to ten. And you have two two chances of trap. It what are, what are the the Golan ones are ten also correct? Golan ones are ten, and they have about a quarter the size, big, maybe a half dollar size. Big screen. Same I've, as a zip tie. Yeah, and I've had good luck with with those as Me well. Too. Yep. I like those. So um, okay, uh, we, we George is waving his hat at me. I picked out of that story was he said he had different clamps. On the fuel injector, which goes back to what we talked Different about. Different clamps on the fuel injector, yes. The last thing he did to the bike. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It may have been. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did it was there, you know, and sometimes you introduce and, 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 a problem. Well, you know, just if your hoses are a little bit older and you're sliding into your hoses on top of something and it just, you know, takes a little, it just peels a little bit of a shim and it's sitting in there and it's loose and then it, and it goes. I mean, it's so, you just never know, but exactly what George said. And I always tell that people, people ask me like, Hey, what do you, what, you know, my bike started doing this. I go, what'd you do to it last? It's like, I don't know why it's doing this. It's like, what'd you do? Did you wash it? Yeah, I washed it. And it's, and it's an electrical problem. <laughs> what did you wash really good? The switch, <laughs> you know, little things, little things. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. Uh, Todd Kelly asked, let's hear more about the Christini, a good platform. If you put some better components on it, engine reliability, practicality of the all wheel drive. Um, so Todd, go, go look at the uh, first review I have up on uh, dirtbiketest.com of the bike. Uh, we are working on the durability right now. Engine, engine, um, uh, reliability right now because that's something before I can comment on it I have to prove it to myself and the practicality of the all-wheel drive is um it's frankly it's just different and and just like anything with every advantage there is some sort of a disadvantage to it but I think especially depending on your skill level depending on the traction of the area you're riding in there are definitely some advantages to it and the problem I think you mostly get is from riders that have been riding one-wheel drive motorcycles for a long time. It's a change to go to an all-wheel drive motorcycle. It does stuff differently. So different in motorcycle terms is bad. So I like it. I think it does some good stuff, and it takes me about 10 minutes to remember how to how to ride an all-wheel drive. It, it's just like driving an all-wheel drive car when you're sliding around a turn. You turn into stuff. Um, it, it accelerates better from stops and standstills. It floats over bad traction better. Um, it's heavier. It can torque steer a little bit. Uh, so there's, it depends on what you're looking for and with advantages come, uh, disadvantages and stuff. Um, yeah, Mark, how's this, how's this for your fifth tea, buddy? That's tequila. And by the way, it's really good. Um, Okay, you do all sorts of stuff to make your injectors flow more fuel, but you should adjust the tune if you mess with it. It's expecting X fuel injected at certain injector pulse. Right, right? Sure. Right, sounds great to me. Works. Uh, Michael Brown, who is a top fan. I guess my comment is don't, and he uses the... Um, F word with your injector. <laughs> Just keep them clean. Ah, family show. <laughs> yeah. Well, not too family, but uh, let's see. The video is a great. Uh, so Mark saw your video. Mark Daniel saw your video. He was wide open, and when he stopped, it wouldn't restart. That's what Danny Hopkins said of the situation. Danny was there. Yeah. That sounds like uh, that sounds like what I was describing. Like that's that's the kind of fuel injector injector failure. Although. The only one that I've ever had happen to me personally that I experienced through and through took two full tanks of gas to, like, I started feeling it. I didn't know what it was. I went through a whole tank of gas. On my second tank of gas, when it was getting low, that's when it... it I bet you tapered off. It, I managed to get it back here. I managed to get it home, um, so I was not stranded. So you've got some questions here. You want to run through these? Yeah, so these are questions that I pulled out of our group. So this Facebook group where we have the KTM EXC guys, some of these things are asked, like, pretty often. These are regular ones. The one that I thought was kind of interesting, and we had talked about this before, a lot of guys will wonder about 
um, handlebar isolation. So part of the aspect of riding like a dual sport bike, you tend to have an older crowd. These are guys who are a little more mature, a little I'll older. Speak for yourself. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> These are guys who um, are getting into dual sporting as a more sane way to enter motorcycling, and they're taking longer distance tours. Um, in fact, I help some guys who are riding around the world, and one of their questions often is, as uh, you know, with some previous wrist injuries, how me. Sure. Yeah. What's the best way to isolate uh, bar dampening uh, vibrations, especially on those 500s, which are counterbalanced, but not not really It's great. no Honda 450L. Uh, there you go. So Mako 360, uh, you have flex bars on your bike. There's the BRP rubber mounts. Um, uh, what are KTM has a KTM has a, KTM has a thing. System. It's the I don't I don't know. It's they have they have some letters for it. Um, but so here's here's my take on it. And I have to say I've I've run flex bars. I've run flex bars since they first came out um, because I retired from racing because of wrist injury. So my wrists are bad, and I do feel it and I notice it. So um, so those those typically. They, those are my favorite for from some very specific reasons, but most of my bikes have a flex bar and a BRP mount on top of them because I also run the Scott's damper, and it's just a setup that's so sano and so simple, and it works very well. Flex will tell you that their bars uh, uh, eliminate vibration. I don't agree with that. I think that they at certain at certain points they limit vibration or they they minimize vibration but they don't seem to be the best ones for quote vibration if that's kind of what you're what you're looking like for high frequency harmonics so the high the harmonic engine, vibrations the, the, engine, the stuff vibrations. that you feel kind of coming through your foot pregs or you know through the your gas tank or wherever you know it's coming through different points at certain points it creeps up through the bars a better way to get rid of that would be with some um, tuned vibration dampening type things which fast company does make these bar ends yeah. a couple of companies that make bar ends there's stuff there's foam you can pump in your handlebars that does or doesn't work there's all kinds of crazy stuff out there for it but typically when you do that you're going to just move around the point where the bars, where the harmonics, harmonics seems to work on the, the bar, you know, at that point. So, um, it's funny because when we were testing all this stuff and I did a whole bunch of testing with this stuff, we found that the bar damper you would run in a two stroke 300 is different than a bar damper you would run in a four stroke 500. Really? So are these the, manufacturers tuning them differently and you can, well, you they can did, order specific? They, they didn't initially, but when we found out like, Hey, this made it worse. And they're like, what? And so like, you're testing exposed. Yeah, yeah, I was like, okay, oh, so so there there was there was it just depends on the RPM and like where things start shaking. Um, so so the flex bar the flex bar is really good at it just taking the sharp impacts out of the handlebars and and all you have to do is just do a hammer drop with your hand. You take your hand and just drop it down on the bars, drop it on a normal bar, drop it on a flex bar, and you're going to feel a very big difference in what you feel. And that's every time that your wheel hits a bump, you get that kind of a sensation up through the handlebars. So, so like square edge absorption. They're really good at that. You know, anytime, anytime your fork's going to take a hit, they're, they're incredible at just reducing that out. And I've always said the one thing that flex bars really do is, is they make a bad fork good. So if I had a bike with, let's just say, four CS forks or Marzocchi forks that I didn't feel like, you know, spending some time with to make them better, you can put flex bars on there and those forks get like 70% better. You can almost fix a fair pair of forks for 300 bucks <laughs> as opposed to maybe 1100 bucks. And what's what's funny is I like I like the the I like the handling precision of a stiff fork versus the 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 mushy feel of a of a really super plush fork. 
And so I can run the setting I, I like to feel in the handling perspective, but still not get beat up on my wrist from the fork when I'm running a flex bar. Okay, that makes so, sense. That's valid. So, and then, okay, the BRP rubber mount, that is good for the vibration. But again, it's depending on what color rubbers, dampers, you, elastomers you run in there. Uh, changes a little bit about where, you know, where it's going to vibrate and where you're going to feel it. And in combination between those two, you, you know, the it seems like you can get rid of a lot of the vibration. Not all of it. I don't think you can ever get rid of all of it. It just depends on where you want to tune it. So, um, and the rubber mat has a little bit of a damping, but I, I would say it's 10% of the the kind of damping you're going to get out of the the flex bar, which like I said, is, is good. The Mako 360 is a, is a different design. And it's a little bit like, it's kind of like the KTM design. I think the Mako is taken in a whole nother a level together. So the bar is still like a kind of a unified piece and it allows it to kind of suspend inside of a rubber elastomer. And I did, I did some testing from, from with them and they're very early when they're really working on their um, elastomer uh, development and stuff and, and tried a lot of different setups with that. And, and for me, because it's still on the on the on on a on a single bar, uh, it's like it's like the because you, you you sort at that point come disconnected a little bit from the from the the steering itself. Interesting. It, it, that it, makes sense. It moves. It it allows the, the the handlebar to move. And so just as much for some people when they feel the flex bar going up and down and it freaks them out. Yeah. When I feel the steering inputs in all directions. To, for the most part, I mean, there's stops in it, and it's not it's not as bad. I mean, it, well, some people notice it right away, and other people don't. So that, in in essence, just bothered me. Could I have gotten used to it? Probably. Um, uh, you know, in, in in like I'm just the 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 movement of the flex bar doesn't even bother me anymore. I don't even notice it. I notice it when my bars don't move and my wrists hurt the next day. Uh, but the the Mako 360 is like I said, it's it's different. I know a lot of guys really like it, and it does sort of the same thing. So, so just three different ways of kind of skinning the cat. I guess the best thing you can you, you you could do is if you have a buddy that you know has one, get get a chance to ride it and see if that's you know if one or the other uh, uh, feels better. But um, I think uh, you know I know a lot of the GNCC guys and stuff are starting to run the the Makos and seem to be pretty happy with them. Uh, so. Yeah, that's that's what I know about those. Okay, um, hard hard to get rid of the vibration um, totally. You can just move it. I I found you can just change where it's at. So you find the RPM where you're going to be riding at, and then reduce the vibration there, and then don't rev it a whole lot or <laughs> not as enough to so make you're, it work. Basically, what I think you're you're saying is trying to push the the frequency to a spot that's tolerable to you. So yep. if that's up probably down because if you can dampen some of that away with either the foam and the inserts and the, and the end of the bars or yeah. the, the and, little brass insert like harmonic balancer deals yeah. just trying to absorb some, I mean I've ridden bikes where the vibration just gets you RPM goes up it just starts going and get, gets out of control you know but most of the bikes today that with the counterbalance and stuff it kind of it kind of comes in and then it disappears so uh, okay what's the next one so these are these are two maybe that I get asked a lot and that is you know the difference between a JD versus a reflash versus a vortex versus a get and I guess you could even throw in there that euro map so the off-road euro map okay, okay. the mistake okay the so the mistake map yeah so the euro map <laughs> is like the fabled um you know solution to everything is there anything else that we're forgetting so between the JD reflash vortex stock US EPA map so there's that one that's the one your bike comes with yeah so there's all these different sort of tuning and this, is, this is your area of expertise. That's where your white sheet goes into detail and talks about all this stuff. And we've talked about it before. JD is fuel tuning only. 
Um, if you're going to do anything with your anything else in your system, uh, you should probably have the ability to fuel tune it. You know, if you're going to put a, what everybody does, puts a muffler on it. And I see the other question is FMF 4.1 or Q4. Yeah. Please, people, go to the Q4. Just do your do everybody's ears a favor. Um, people think oh, I just want to, you know, I want more power, and I I've seen the dyno charts and the dynos uh, confirm what I feel uh, that the Q4 will make more power at higher RPMs. Um, especially like the RPMs where we ride at, especially on the uh, EPA bikes that are rev limited because that back pressure actually kind of helps at that point. And what, I mean, they may be able to get some more peak and stuff with the, with the, with the, with the open and stuff, but in ride and where, where you're riding your bike, you're probably going to get better, more usable power out of the, out of the Q4. And a lot of times it doesn't rev through it as fast. So you actually get to use it. Um, Keeps you in so, the power band a little longer, and then and then and then like best for <laughs> best for low end, you're gonna you're gonna see better numbers with a with a Q4 with a with a more open pipe. That's just the, where you're gonna see the numbers. But generally, like I just talked about how it how it goes through the power, that better number because it's on a dyno drum that's that's not spinning, it's it's gonna push better numbers. But when you're riding on the dirt, it's gonna spin more. So. It may feel like it's more, but it's going to spin more, and you're going to get less traction on you know when we're talking about off road type off road type riding. You go to the motocross track, and you're going to you know I think then you can completely flip what I just said. So, um, but I think the Q4 is just better because the spark arrestor, um, the uh, they're just quieter, just better for our sport. Period. Uh, but back to the so back to the the JD versus a reflash versus vortex versus the get. Um, the reflash is same as like Euromap. That's kind of in the same thing. It's like who's reflashing it? What are they reflashing it to? Right. And is it part of a tuned system? Um, if it's if it's like somebody knows what they're talking about as a kit, um, then and are they are they what are they reflashing? Just fuel? Or are they doing ignition as well? You, you know, you you who knows? Um, the vortex and get give you the ability to they adjust ignition timing and like we experienced today. They have a base map, and then there's a whole bunch of tuning available afterwards. And then how, you know, is is the base map what you want? And then if it isn't what you want, is there something else that you want? And can you communicate with that guy? So we're down to, like, the when I talk about suspension valving. You know, what what is it you want and where are you trying to go? And the, the ability of those things, the Vortex and the Get, is they can be so custom-tuned and set up for individual. That's their That's their advantage. That's their killer app. But I don't think that most people are using that to its to its potential. So um, fuel stabilizer versus avgas versus race gas. Avgas was made for riding in your airplane where you're running constant RPMs. Um, if you're doing that on your motorcycle, you should probably come and see me about a riding school, and I'll talk to you about blips of throttle and how to be a better rider. Uh, race gas, um, if you've got money to burn – and a fuel tuner on your bike, or you can tune it for it. That's great. Um, and then fuel stabilizer, yes, especially if you're letting your bike sit for any period of time. We've had really good luck with that Tektron Power Sport stuff that's uh, sitting right over there. Oh, is that this? This stuff. Shameless yeah. plug. Yeah, shameless plug. They Sponsorship. Need to, they should come on and sponsor us. Up here. Yeah, right there. <laughs> um, 
And then uh, what are we? You know, something a lot of guys will ask is Scott's GPR. Is there another stabilizer? Is there a need for a stabilizer? Well, since since I was involved with the development of the Scott's, like from early on, I'm going to tell you the Scott's is the absolute by 100 percent best uh, steering stabilizer out there. And here's the reason: it's it's not the most adjustable one. The uh, the um, Fastway Fastway System Six or whatever system is five. System Five is the most adjustable one. But the Scots one has all the adjustments you would ever need, uh, in my opinion. the The difference between those two the the the, the GPR and the Scots. GP, no, 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 I'll get to the GPR in a second. The Scots and the the BRP one is the Scots the the the, the valving. High speed and low speed valving seem to be very isolated. In other words, when you adjust the low speed, it only adjusts the low speed. When you adjust the high speed, it only adjusts the high speed. With the BRP one, there is some oh, BRP over- or Fastway. Fastway, I'm sorry, Fastway. It was B- it wasn't BRP. What was the company before? It was Billet Racing Products. Yeah, so BRP because um, they're kind of they were kind of joined forces together. The Fastway. There's overlap. So when you adjust the low speed, it also affects the high speed and vice versa, in my experience, when I was testing it. And um, when they when I told them that, they weren't sure about that. And I, that's what I felt. And I'm not sure where – I still have one. There's one on one of my Hoosbergs, believe it or not. Um, so – it kind of depends on what you want. One might be the other. They both have the adjustable sweep, you know, so you can adjust how long they're valving for. And then the the fast way in their other, what's their other adjustment? They have some other adjustment on there. So the, the fast way has end stops and they have the amount of um, dampening sweep. out to the end. Right, but you can Let stop it, it but you can stop before the end. So anyways, it's, it's a crazy amount of thing. But the GPR, the GPR has a, generally has a single knob on it that adjusts the, the high end. Well, you always, you can't get rid of the low speed valving on the GPR. And I don't know that it has a high, high speed valving in it. Cause almost any time I've run a GPR, uh, it almost has too much low speed valving all the time. So it's not, it's not for me. That's not to say that it's bad. If you like to, if you like to have a steering damper and feel like you have a steering damper on your motorcycle, the GPR feels like you have a steering damper on your motorcycle because there's continual resistance. There's, there's never any free. Yeah, there's 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 no free back to uh, no. It does free back to center, doesn't it? Does no. it? It's it dampen, does. It's it does out that's back. right. It does not free back to center, and that's that's the other problem I have with it because I I need to have that free back to center. That was that's the reason the Scots is a Scots and it's not a Unic and Olin's is the free back to center. The Olin's has the dampen back. Y- yes. Oh it, no! It did originally. No, it was a, called a Unic, and it was when it oh, was really? Unic before Olin's bought it. Um, yeah, so uh, it had the it had the. That's what made the Scots unique was it was free back to center. And Scots now sells a road version that valves all the time, like the GPR. So uh, return to center, low speed, high speed, this is the cornering fast damping. One. Yeah, cornering angle. Control the resistance with the handlebars. Okay, so yeah, they have. It's that's a what it's cornering they, angle. They they which is which is generally on a dirt bike you want that free, you know. You but I see where they're using it so your bars don't slam into the, you know, slam it to the end of the of the, the full stop. The full stop, yeah, because the the most the most dampers you you only have them really valving t- more towards the center, and it's exactly the opposite of the way like the Honda steering damper works, like the CRF damper with the little guy that's on the on the yeah. triple clamp. Those work. Those hold the bike in the turn. That's what they're designed for. Okay. So when you turn down, when the bar is, ex, you know, 
hyperextended out. Yeah, and that's where the damper really works. When it's straight up and down, it barely even moves. It's when it gets pulled out to the side, that's when it... So it's dampening at almost full lock. So when yeah. you're like full and that, sweep... And that for motocross really, really works. It's really good, at, especially like at, at like supercross type bull turns. It, it holds the bike down into the turn and, and very noticeable. I, I've, I've ridden Yamahas with the Honda damper, motocross bikes with the Honda damper on it. And really liked it, and and I wish that Honda still had them on them. So they have the mounts for them. You can buy them. It's a good good mod. Um, okay, uh, Scott's steering damper review. Look at that, George. You did a good job. <laughs> so, what I got one last question because a guy messaged me this, and he was pretty insistent that um, I actually asked this numerous yep. times. You know, you see guys do like heat wrap. They'll, mm -hmm. they'll wrap their entire heat wrap, and they think that that aids in scavenging effect. They think that there's a performance gain, and there's always these debates back and forth about whether or not that adds any value to just motor, If I heat wrap my exhaust system, will it improve performance to help my bike run cooler? Should I put it on a higher pressure? Oh, that's oh, no, a radiator. That oh, different. oh, there's so, yeah. different, different, two, two questions. different questions there. Um, if I put heat, it will improve performance. Um, I... I had done some tests uh, back in the day with with um, different coated coated heather coated headers and heat wrapped headers and stuff like that, and I actually felt like I could feel a little difference in throttle response, um, but you had to really really think about it and really be picky about it. I think the best thing was that it kept the heat from going into uh, your gas tank, you know, heating up the gas or burning things. <laughs> so, um, so you feel like there might be some scavenging effect benefit by having a heat wrap or at least kind of kind of like to, coating to to a similar level but not nearly as effective as like a mega bomb the difference between like a standard header and an fmf mega bomb yeah go into that um those add throttle response they 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 enhance throttle response they enhance like just kind of the way the bike feels when you come you come on the throttle uh i don't don't know why don't know exactly why it also kills sound it drops usually a decibel or two down but i found in my testing um i actually a lot of times i prefer a, the mega bomb header with even on the stock exhaust if it'll if it'll fit you know if you if you if it's stock the same can mega bomb header pipe yeah so and and that's why you've seen that's why you've seen uh a lot of manufacturers go you know to that design you see you know ktm has it now uh they got a Coke can sitting well, on top of it. Actually, the... Honda took it off on their 250F. But yeah, they have their, you know, there's different there's different ways to get around the patents that FMF has, but the Mega Bomb header does work. And um it's better than a better than an exhaust, uh better than an exhaust, a heat wrap. <laughs> okay. So you you know, plug for you, you've been around in the industry a long time. Were you at FMF when they were developing the power bomb and the mega bomb? No, I no, I wasn't at, at FMF. I was just testing a lot of their their stuff when they were doing strange things like that um i mean i actually <laughs> did a lot more two-stroke pipe testing for them way back in the day um on on things but that that whole the whole mega bomb thing i think really started mostly for sound but then they started saying hey wait this is doing something good for power too what is the science behind that that's basically like a resonance chamber where the sound pulse they coming off of the, is it I the shock think, wave off the exhaust valve i think they started they say that again yeah, it's it's nothing okay. new. It's, yeah. yeah, it's nothing okay. new. So it's it's just it's it's a basically well originally those so the power bomb the one that was in the front originally started out as like a pre muffler 
you know, like you've seen on, you know, you've seen pre-mufflers on cart kind of started as a pre-muffler. And then as they started playing with it and I, I had to get, I had to get Donnie in here to explain like how he's in the, in the shop, in the dino room every day, like a mad scientist, you know, finding all these things and playing all these different things. So, um, but yeah, those are, those are, there's, there's a reason why they're on there. So Helmholtz resonator. Yeah, yeah, Helmholtz Resonator. So for if you want to nerd it up, you can just you know get on the interwebs and Google that. George is doing that for you right now. It's already on there. Oh, you already it's already did? up there. Good job. Yeah. Um, okay. What are the other ones? Anti gravity restart. That's a that's an awesome technology. Um, uh, I I have not I've not had a chance to use it yet. <laughs> um, what was it? Was it, well, you had one about Kickstarters? Yeah. So somebody asked once, should I invest in? Because you know the, the the newer bikes, the seventeen and up bikes, don't come the the EXE and FEs don't come with the Kickstart. Right. So somebody asked this question: Where the crap did it go? Which one was that? Uh, I don't see it here. But basically, what it would was be, it was at a kicks. It yeah. Was, should I go through the expense and hassle of adding a Kickstarter or? Use a jump pack, just carry a jump pack, or both, or the capacitor. Do you know about it, like a start capacitor? I carry. Okay, so I I carry that. So it's I carry capacitor. I carry a little a little wire that's it's a capacitor run into it, and in the event that my KTM battery goes dead, which has happened a couple times, because uh, they won't kickstart with a dead battery, a flat battery. Yeah. So I had I've had a battery. I had a battery, uh, just a stock battery, break a cell, and you just. Um, Disconnect the battery and put the capacitor in, and you can kickstart it. It's not easy. I mean, they're not easy to kickstart. Um, I carry I carry around one of the little jump starter things now, so I carry a you know a, a little um, you know it's about a little bit bigger in size than an iPhone and has some battery terminal clamps on it, and that's what I carry because my Husaberg is that five seventy that I talk about all the time. The one that you all love, the, the one the, you love, the well, hair. I love it. Has like a lot of power. I mean, it has so much power. I never really even worry that it doesn't have a Kickstarter because usually I can get it going so fast. If I think the battery's going dead, I can coast all the way home. But um, I've never had to worry about the the Kickstarter on that one. It doesn't even have one, but I do carry a. And, you know, I I make it a habit to kind of carry a little jump starter pack because that way usually I end up charging my GoPro and my phone and all the other stuff and uh, the bike's not a problem. So talk about that really quick about the capacitor. What is it about a flat battery and what's the need of the capacitor and what does that do? Well, you need to charge. The battery goes dead. Battery's dead. And all of a sudden you don't have any power to run your fuel pump, which you need to have your pressure so that your bike can start. And you can kick it all you want and it's not going to generate enough juice to pre-charge the the fuel to have the fuel pump running when it needs to be running to do the squirt of gas when you need it. So that's that's just KTM's. I don't know if if um you know what the deals with other bikes like if, same because some some of them some of them you can some of them have capacitors in the system and so when you just when you go to push start it you know and that's the other thing is like I have a recluse clutch in one of my Husabergs so. I need to be able to jump start that bike. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I, I know I know how to go inside and and well not the one of them. One of them has the old the ball bearings one in it. Z Start Pro. Z Start Pro. So you do you you cannot like you know unscrew the Allen screw and get the clutch to bind to get it to start. But another trail tip: Do we talk about this about the shoelace, George? You're impressed by that? If you smoke your clutch, like every time you go riding, you smoke your clutch. You should carry a shoelace with you. Because you can take that shoelace out and r- lay it around in the clutch plates, just wrap it around there, and just bolt your clutch back together, and you you got a you got a clutch for a little while again. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, that works. That's a. I actually I used to ride with this guy. You may have heard of him. Um, Name drop. 
uh, he's kind of a fast guy, but he was really hard on clutches. He may have won the Baja 1000 like 11 times or Ooh, something. Oh, name check. And uh, he, we used to go trail riding. He used to, my job was to take him trail riding and beat him up. A hundred points if you answer and in the fake fake book. Who he, this is? He uh, he used to smoke his clutch on the XR six hundred or XR six fifty so bad. It was usually the XR six fifty because they were all geared for that that race down in Mexico. I think called Baja one thousand. And uh, he would get that clutch so hot that the clutch plates would actually pop and snap. I mean, when we were taking it apart. It would be crackling. Usually, we were riding in the snow. By the way. And so you can actually, when the plates pop and crack, you can actually take them and stack them on top of each other. So you like almost double up on parts of the clutch and you can bind it back together. And then you can, you can get the bike to where you have the spare clutch that you stashed because, uh, you knew this was going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, okay. I think with that, I think we're going to end on that one. Is any, <laughs> anybody else have any really good questions? Hey, Gabe, can I hang up on all the calls? Right. Okay, I'm done with the calls. Um, uh, Trevor says he can't call in because he's just leaving dinner. He's on what we call a press junket. That's where um, he he went out all day and had to take pictures of brand new Yamahas, and he's going to ride them tomorrow, but he can't talk about them until next Wednesday because what manufacturers are doing because all journalists are lazy is they give them a whole week to write the story now. Um, so it's not a it's not a rush to justice anymore. And, uh, okay. So you can, what's, um, uh, we're going to put up the, what I don't like about the Honda Sierra 450 X video, uh, probably tonight or tomorrow in case you're interested in watching that. Cause that guy had, he likes his Honda so much. I'm going to say what I don't <laughs> like about it. I blame him. Poor guy. And, uh, no, I'm glad I'm glad he, he should do a rebuttal and, uh, that's uh, that's about it. But for uh, Taco Mike, um, who who do you want to promote? Where do people need to go? What do we need to check? What do we need to check out? Man, if you um, if so, what we do is we just kind of uh, we provide parts and accessories and uh, specialty gear for you know these EXC and FE bikes, KTM Adventure guys, and um, TacoMoto.co. TacoMoto.co is where we're at. Okay. And uh, you can find us at dirtbiketest.com. Um, we have all the different Insta book, new space, face chat, and uh, things like that. Um, but uh, maybe Instagram and maybe Facebook are the, probably the two best places to uh, find us besides our website that has awesome information. I'm super stoked that you guys are pushing those buttons that have the thumbs up on them. Uh, maybe by next week we'll have a brand new sponsor but for now and for Jeremy thank you for the uh, Class A Azul you made a few of the people in the room jealous we will uh, hopefully see you out on the trail cheers go out and get some adventure